Hey, Will, like I normally do, I just want to take a moment to tell our listeners to make sure they hit us up on social, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, wherever you might see us. Make sure you're sending us something. Also, you can email us directly at AppalachiaMeetsWorld at gmail.com. If you get a moment, shoot us a line, give us some feedback. Yeah, and wherever you listen to the podcast, make sure you subscribe to Appalachia Meets World. It just helps our podcast, but it also helps you know when we're releasing a new episode. And so what we're seeing is that there's this real uh, effort to duplicate, to replicate, especially when they see that the projects are being financed. And that's what you want at the end of the day for economic development to be successful. You want it to be not just a one-off project, but that um, there, there are multiple. Appalachia Meets World, a podcast about place and perspective, but always Appalachian. And don't forget, Will, tonight's episode is powered by SOAR. Shaping our Appalachian region. If you're an entrepreneur out there, especially in eastern Kentucky, check them out. Appalachian meets the world. We're back another week. It's Will. And Neil, what's up, my brother? What's going on? Ah, just two brothers talking on a podcast. Just the two less popular brothers talking after the big Super Bowl of the more popular brothers. (laughs) Still harping on the Kelsey brothers. Yeah. So if we faced in a Super Bowl, who who do you think would win? Uh, what position am I playing? We just have to go off our history. I mean, I'm obviously playing quarterback. I'm assuming you're going to be like outside linebacker, maybe. <laughs> I mean, I'll take tight end. Yeah, you could go tight end. I got to take tight end. I think I would win. Ah, uh, yeah. There's zero chance of that happening. <laughs> it's okay to dream. Yeah. <laughs> You like to talk. I think everybody knows that. Nobody's ever thought that you talked until we started a podcast. So comes the Appalachia, man. You got to gas it up every chance you get. Speaking of gassing it up, you got any app news for us this week? I do have a little bit of app news. Uh, I don't know if you saw, but Invest Appalachia organization. It's it's actually been around for a little bit, but they have spent the last six years building collaborative stakeholders, kind of this the collaborative stakeholder design, but they just launched a $19 million fund, their first investment fund for community first impact investing in central Appalachia. It's a pretty big deal for this organization. They provide, if you're not familiar, capital to community economic development projects, including small business, real estate, housing, nonprofit enterprises, and community infrastructure. So it's a big deal, not only for that organization, but for Central Appalachia. So that's a little bit of news. Yeah, for sure. They, they provide that funding by way of uh, loan, Will? or Well, it's an investment fund. So it's more social impact investing, catalytic capital. Some of it, I think, can be forgivable loans. Some of it will be patient capital, but... I don't think they're looking for a high return. It's kind of like a nonprofit, but set up like a VC. Cool. They have a bunch of partners. I know Locust Capital, the Appalachia Funders Network has worked a lot with them, a lot of people around the region. So it's a cool story, uh, cool news for Central Appalachia. Yeah, for sure. What else you thing, got? It's National Entrepreneurship Week. You know, we talked about entrepreneurship on here all the time. So I just thought I'd mention that. 
today is kind of the, the last day, but this week has been National Entrepreneurship Week. So you bought a gift for that special entrepreneur in your life? <laughs> <laughs> I, think that, I think that was Valentine's Day. Oh, well, I got confused. It, it was also Valentine's Week too, Will. So, you know, uh, you know, you got me you got me thinking about gifts for special special someones. How do entrepreneurs celebrate themselves, you think? That's that's a that's actually a really good point. That's part of building this you know, an ecosystem around entrepreneurship is celebrating the successes, celebrating the stories, celebrating the entrepreneurs when you can. Yeah. Maybe we should have it instead of Valentine's Day. I, I've told my wife for years that Hallmark made up Valentine's Day. So <laughs> I agree. You know, we can we can make up entrepreneur day and week and celebrate a bunch of different entrepreneurs that make the world go around. Flowers and candy for entrepreneurs. Yeah. <laughs> One thing I did want to mention, you know, when, when you talk about entrepreneurship and we've talked about it before on here, but entrepreneurship in Appalachia, one of the hardest things for entrepreneurs in Appalachia, one of the issues that they have is access to capital. Yeah, it's, it's so difficult, Will. I mean, you find a lot of entrepreneurs that are building business based off old money, I guess, but there's lots of entrepreneurs out there with great ideas and they just, they just get hung up on, on finding the funding to, to be able to, you know, let their ideas grow. Yeah. But even more so in Appalachia, I mean, there's studies out there that the, the percentage of capital flow in Appalachia is much lower than the rest of America. It's um, just finding that accepts the capital, but there's one organization recently that has, kind of been a major player in the game. I don't know if you heard of Appalachian Community Capital, but they have an initiative called Opportunity Appalachia. Have you heard of that? Well, Will, actually I have. So like I said, Appalachian Community Capital um, started this initiative, Opportunity Appalachia, several years ago. But now today they have picked 50 projects, but it's 50 projects throughout central Appalachia. And they, I guess it would be 50 communities, but it's 50 projects and communities. And they're pro- providing technical assistance to these communities in the form of uh, developing investment perspectives, uh, market research, architectural and engineering, business plan preparation, investor outreach, all to try to in, in attract investment within those communities. And so the numbers are pretty extraordinary for what they've done in a limited amount of time in regards to helping these communities attract investment. I'm glad you told me a little bit about that, but I know you're certainly not the expert on that particular company, nor am I, nor am I going to try to be. But we do have readily available the main expert with Appalachian Community Capital, Miss Donna Gambrell. And I'd love to go ahead and get into her interview tonight. We have the president and CEO of Appalachian Community Capital. So, like you said, without further ado, why don't we just get her on here? Let's do it. On the show today, we have a special guest, Ms. Donna Gambrell. She's the president and CEO of Appalachian Community Capital, a group of more than 30 community development finance funds or CDFIs in Appalachia. 
She's a leader in the field. Among other stops, she has worked over a decade at the F FDIC and was the director of the CDFI fund under the Department of Treasury. She has served on a multitude of boards, including co-founder of and chair of the African-American Alliance of CDFI CEOs. Donna, we want to thank you for taking the time with us and sharing your incredible experience. Thank you, Will. It's good to be here. Appreciate the invitation. Uh, we wanted to uh, ask you a question that we like to kick the show off with. As most Appalachians are big on history, big, big on tradition, our family is big on tradition as well. And one of the traditions we have, we have appetizers at the holidays. We usually have this gigantic spread of appetizers, usually bigger than the actual meal. So we wanted to ask you, Donna, do you have a favorite appetizer or holiday dish? Oh, gosh. Well, no, I don't. Unfortunately, I eat everything. So that that tends to be a problem. I start at the appetizers and go right through dessert. <laughs> That's perfect. That's perfect in our family. We start with the appetizers. You usually can't make it to the meal. I like deviled eggs, though, as well. That, that is my favorite. So now mm -hmm. you're on my team. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> now that we got have that question out, out of the way, we can just dive right into Appalachian Community Capital. It's a um, CDFI, but it's not a direct lender, as a lot of CDFIs are. Essentially, it raises capital for its members. Uh, like I mentioned, over 30 CDFIs that are direct lenders. Can you just give a, your history with ACC and what you do there and maybe a little background about what overall ACC does? Yeah, sure. And you captured it perfectly, Will. So, um, you know, a lot of people say, well, what is a CDFI? What is a community development financial institution? Because it's such a, first of all, it's a mouthful. And still a lot of people don't realize what those community development lenders do. So they were created, we were created primarily to work in underserved markets, those that were economically distressed, those that were historically excluded from the financial mainstream to provide affordable uh, credit and capital to those markets. And it could be people who are uh, small business owners or entrepreneurs, or it could be homeowners. It could be folks who are doing redevelopment projects. We happen to be focused on small business lending. So as you said, I raise capital for those 30-some members. They're all located and doing business in the Appalachian region. They take that capital and they make loans to small businesses and entrepreneurs. And they also use any grant capital that we might provide to uh, also support those small businesses with business advisory services and other type of support. You know, we, we found through this show that communities inside and outside of Appalachia uh, share a lot of the same challenges. You might think that we're different, but we actually share a lot of the same challenges. The solutions look a little bit different considering the assets, the different assets that we may have. That being said, access to capital as you know, as, as we know, is a major issue in Appalachia communities. Uh, is it different, that access to capital? Is it different in rural areas as opposed to urban areas? You know, I think there are some differences because what, what I've seen in the Appalachian region is that you don't have the big banks, the big national foundations, for example. The infrastructure is not the same. So you don't have the same level of support. 
you don't have the same number and volume of um, organizations, support organizations. And so I think in regions like uh, Appalachia, you're scrambling a lot harder uh, to find that uh, those investments, those investors who really believe not only in the region itself, but in the people. And I think in Appalachia, what you see is just this tremendous resiliency among the people who live in the region. Also just an extraordinary um, entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, folks who have said, you know, uh, I've got a dream and I wanna pursue that dream and starting a business. And so um, I do think that there are just some real differences uh, in how those investments come into places like Appalachia versus other parts of the country. Yeah, you mentioned that entrepreneurial spirit. Really, entrepreneurship was born out of Appalachia. It's more out of necessity than anything Absolutely. else. Just like CDFIs, I think, were born out of necessity. Correct. You know, dating back, I think, through the civil rights movement of when CDFIs may have been created. Correct. Um, that being said, are CDFIs, obviously, they're different than banks. You know, banks look at the four C's, the capacity, collateral, capital, character, or something to that effect. Do, do CDFIs look beyond that and look at the person, uh, really get down on a personal level to understand? Um, does that make them different than banks in that regard? I believe that it does, Will, because I think when you work with a CDFI, first of all, uh, most of the CDFIs, and there are 1,400 CDFIs across the country, most of those CDFIs are very high touch. They are located right in the community. They work hand in hand with their customers. They see their customers frequently. Um, and they also look for flexible ways in which they can provide that capital to um, customers. So what you see oftentimes is that a CDFI um, may have a whole different way of looking at a person's credit history. Uh, they might in fact say, well, you know, you don't have to have this level of a credit score. You don't have to have all this, uh, you know, the criteria. We will look at, for example, your rental payments. We see that as a, a way in which you actually can identify a person's character, whether or not they're paying their rent and their utility bills. Uh, so it really is a very different. And I think that CDFIs also look for ways in which they can provide more flexible terms on a loan how they can extend those loans if a person starts to, you know, falter or get in a little bit of trouble. I certainly saw that uh, during the housing crisis, you know, back in the Great Recession, uh, that CDFIs were really working with their customers and saw early on that some of those customers were having some difficulties and started working with them to extend their loans or to redo the loans so that it would make it more affordable and that that person wouldn't be losing their homes. Am I correct in saying this, that I saw that CDFIs outperformed traditional banks even through COVID? Yeah, it's interesting to see. So we, it's, it's very counterintuitive, Will. Uh, in, a, in a moment of crisis, CDFIs tend to step into the breach. And so you see oftentimes that these organizations, um, they, their, their default rates are much lower. Uh, delinquency rates are much lower than traditional banks, for example, and they did outperform uh, during COVID because they actually stepped in and worked uh, on programs that were being offered, particularly for small businesses, like the Paycheck Protection Program, uh, really filling in that void uh, and, and frankly, working alongside some banks 
who were turning to those CDFIs and saying, listen, our volume is so huge, we can't handle this by ourselves. Can you all work with us and process those uh, PPP applications? So, you know, I often say that uh, there's really no competition or should be little competition between a CDFI and a bank. And I really talk about uh, CDFIs being on the on-ramp and banks being on the highway. So we're just trying to move people from the on-ramp to the highway. That's, that was, is what our project is. We're not competing with those banks. We hear the term all the time, patient capital, you know, that long-term, low-cost, sustainable capital. How important is patient capital in rural areas? I'd say on a scale of one to 10, 15. <laughs> and I'll tell you why, because, you know, community economic development doesn't happen overnight. And so you might say, oh, gosh, you know, here's uh, some funding. I hope you can get this done in two or three years. It takes much longer. We know that, especially when you're dealing in areas where that, you know, where there's been some un underinvestment or disinvestment. So that patient capital, long term, low cost is extraordinarily important to really get projects off the ground and to be sustainable, to really see the project not only take off, but something that's going to be in place for many, many years to come. Are CDFIs limited more than banks or is it vice versa, the traditional banks? Well, you know, here, so here's the big difference. Most CDFIs are nonprofit loan funds. And so they don't, they are not regulated like a bank, but you do have, you have CDFI banks, you have CDFI credit unions, you have CDFI loan funds, you have CDFI venture capital funds. The majority though are nonprofit loan funds. And so they don't, uh, they don't come under regulatory oversight by uh, the state or federal governments, but they still have to adhere to good governance principles. They have to have annual audits by an independent auditor, et cetera, et cetera. They have to make sure that they're providing safe and sound um, products and lending to their customers. I think the big difference though, is that you don't have as many that are you know, under the, the kind of the regulatory spotlight like you would a traditional bank. You know, we spoke about that uh, challenge, uh, accessing capital in Appalachia. Another challenge I think that small communities in Appalachia have is really around attracting investment, especially in their downtowns. Opportunity Appalachia is, you can explain it more, but kind of an, a subsidiary to ACC. Can mm -hmm. you just explain exactly what it is and, and what the significance of it is and why you started it? Yes. So Opportunity Appalachia, one of the reasons we started it is because we recognized that there was a lack of CDC capacity in the region. You know, we were seeing that there were a lot of redevelopment projects underway, historic downtown districts that were being um, renovated and refurbished, manufacturing facilities that were being refashioned into small business incubators. And what was missing in a lot of those cases was um, just the technical assistance. People were saying, you know, we, we, we know what we want. We have a vision. We've started the project. But what we don't have, for example, is an architectural design firm. What we don't have is somebody who can actually sit down and do feasibility studies for us. We don't have somebody who can actually help us write a prospectus in a way that an investor would really be attracted and it would resonate with an investor for that project that needs financing. And so we said, so why don't we be that technical assistance um, matchmaker, if you will, 
especially during the pre-development stage. You know, any any person will tell you that's doing development or redevelopment work that that pre-development stage is critical. You have to have the resources in place to move the project forward. And so we said, well, then why don't we provide grants to technical assistance providers, match them with those projects, and then they actually support the project to a point until that project can actually uh, be ready to be um, shown to or, or promoted to investors. And so that's what we do. We provide the technical assistance uh, folks who to those projects. They work with uh, the project sponsors. We started in three states in West Virginia, Ohio, and, and Southwest Virginia primarily. And we're so successful. And I think people were so impressed by what, what they saw was happening. And that was that these projects were being financed. They were moving through the pipeline. Investors were saying, oh, wow, we didn't realize that that was happening. Uh, and so we expanded it to two states in central Appalachia, North Carolina and Tennessee. And that's where we are right now. We're, we're working in five central Appalachian states and we hope to do more uh, in the years ahead. To date, I saw that you've done 50 projects in mm -hmm. excess of $420 million in financing. Correct. Mm -hmm. And hope to do more, Will. Hope to do more. As, as you might imagine, uh, there's high demand. And so we, you know, we figure the more we can show successes and success stories, the more that people will be impressed and investors will be impressed, the more that those projects will be, those and more projects will be financed. As uh, an entrepreneur and someone who has been through the process of trying to find funding for business, what advice would you give to a young person who, you know, fortunately for me, I was able to go through through local bank, but for a young person who, who has a dream and wants to accomplish a, a goal and has a vision, what, what advice would you give them as far as reaching out to a CDFI or um, I guess anyone in your Mm -hmm. in your area of expertise. Yeah, yeah, I think, you know, the CDFIs are a great starting point because to be a CDFI uh, and to stay certified by the Department of Treasury, you have to provide what they call development services to your customer base. And so that development services can be training, technical assistance, you know, again, business advisory services, and so if you start with that CDFI, a lot of times, you know, the CDFI always say they hate to say no. They might just say not yet. And so they might say you're not yet ready, but, you know, we can take you through some technical assistance. We can provide the coaching that's needed. We can get you ready to be qualified for a loan. And, you know, that that is gold, you know, to a lot of entrepreneurs to be able to hear that and to be working with an organization that's going to take the time to really kind of take them through the paces of getting ready to either start or build their businesses. Right. So, CDFI, so what you're saying to, to young entrepreneurs is a CDFI may be the springboard that helps you get to the point where you can get that loan. Um, you know, whereas a bank will make the decision and say yes or no, but uh, you better have a plan in place right. when you're going to a <laughs> bank. Right. They the may not help you move that plan along. That's the difference. Yes, Neil, you're right. We, we you know, we, we talked about starting this podcast to dispel some of the misconceptions, but some of the misconceptions I think people have about Appalachia is also around investment opportunities. You know, you, we, we, you talked about Opportunity Appalachia and the 50 projects. 
just generally, what are some of those projects, just general areas? Are they in downtowns? Are they, are, are they all throughout the community? Just what general areas have you seen these investment opportunities exist? They run the gamut, Will. So a lot of them are downtown development projects or, or redevelopment yeah. projects where someone has uh, taken, for example, a, a, an old department store that was closed down, sitting vacant for many years, taking that and really repurposing that and making uh, either affordable housing units or mixed retail, affordable housing plus retail. Uh, we've seen places where manufacturing facilities have, again, been Re redone into uh, other usable space within the community, community centers that have been financed, health, wellness, and child care centers uh, have been as well, food and agricultural facilities. We're working with someone right now in North Carolina who does meat processing and, you know, it's an operating business. It's not a, a downtown off, uh, you know, a downtown project, but he's doing some really interesting work as it relates to uh, the meat processing uh, piece, uh, hotels, retail enterprises, it really has just run the gamut. And that's why I said, I think when there, there's this misconception sometimes that there's not much happening in the region, but there are so many projects that are already underway. We did a, we worked on a, a, a project with um, a CDFI in Elkins, West Virginia. And so they ha have actually renovated a hotel that you know had lot, lots of good tourism but when people came to visit they didn't have a place to stay and so they are renovating this hotel it is being financed now they worked with opportunity appalachia at the early stages they've got a lot of different investors they've got banks and foundations and cdfis who took interest in the project and helped them finance and as a result of it i call it the ripple effect there are six or seven projects that are near that hotel now where people have said, well, wait a minute, they did it. Why can't we do something? It might not be the hotel, but it's something else, another type of project. And so what we're seeing is that there's this real uh, effort to duplicate, to replicate, especially when they see that the projects are being financed. And that's what you want at the end of the day for economic development to be successful. You want it to be not just a one-off project, but that um, there, there are multiple, multiple projects that are occurring as a result. Yeah, I, and I know part of the technical assistance is helping with putting together prospectuses uh -huh. for these projects. Uh -huh. and so to the investors out there, there's a multitude of opportunities is, is basically what you're saying, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, in 2021, we actually, uh, because of COVID, we couldn't have an in-person convening of the investors. So we did a virtual convening. And during that time, the folks who were the project leads did live pitches are right there in front of the investors so they could you know see the numbers they could see the financials they should see this uh, see the schematics of the project itself and then we also had video just three minute video clips phenomenal in terms of the project leads that use those video clips put them out there to different funders and investors um, still being used, just very effective in telling the story. So you need both. I always say you need the data, but you also need the person telling the story. And there's no better person to tell the story than the person who's actually working on the project itself. Such a good point. I think I understand that you're currently working on your strategic plan. Um, yes. 
I don't know if it's for the next five years, but I did hear that part of that and what you presented at the Clinton Global Initiative, which is really cool. Congratulations for that. Was the idea around a data analytics hub? Can you talk mm-hmm. a little bit more about that? Yeah. So what we were finding, Will, again, the date that the data is really, really important. And so, again, I've got 30 some members and they said one of the things that we wanted to do in the next few years, particularly was just to go deeper and further into Appalachia as it related to rural small businesses. Again, business owners who may not have even heard of a CDFI, who might be in an area where they don't have access to a traditional bank. We wanted to go deep into those areas, but we needed to know where those folks were. And you didn't have that data all in one place. There was no one central place where you could say for all 423 counties that comprise Appalachia, for, you know, where are those small businesses located in those very rural areas? If we were looking, for example, for minority-owned businesses, where are all those businesses in those 423 counties? So the idea of this data hub was to pull together all of this data, census data and other data that's coming from different companies who are collecting it, and then putting it into one uh, system for us so that when we talk to our, our CDFI members and they say, well, we don't really know where people are or, or we only kind of skim the surface, we can show on an interactive map, here's where those businesses are. Here's where they're located. Here's their address. Here's who's the owner. Here's how many employees they have. Uh, a lot of data, underlying data, so that they can zero in specifically uh, on those small business owners and begin the outreach that's needed. Because as you know, Will, it's it's more than just knocking on somebody's door and saying, hey, have I got a great product for you? It's building the trust. And so you have to build the relationships with those small business owners as well, who, who again, may not totally trust you because they don't know you. What is the future of Opportunity Appalachia and ACC? Well, I always say I'm an optimist. My glass is always full, not even half, always full. <laughs> I think that, I think that we That's my have, goal in 2023 is to be more like you. Just for the Oh, record. there we go. Okay, great. <laughs> well, you know, I think for me, it's always, and I love this, I love this line of work because I get to see the impact of the work that we do that our members do almost constantly. I'm, I'm getting ready to go to North Carolina in the next few weeks or so, and we'll get a chance to see some projects there as well in Buncombe County. But I think that when you look at, first of all, you know, this is, a would say, a once-in-a-generation moment, a once-in-a-lifetime moment for so many people who have been looking for ways in which to rebuild communities, to revitalize communities that we're seeing certainly a lot of federal funding. We're seeing a lot of interest from different foundations and banks and other uh, corporate entities. Now is the time to really try to grab that brass ring, if you will, and really take advantage of it. And I think for ACC, we have a lot of room to grow still and expand and do a lot of different work uh, that we want to do as it relates to not only small businesses, but you know, we now see that there's a there's a development and redevelopment need. I think for um, certainly for Opportunity Appalachia, what we're hearing from just about everybody who's involved in this project is Donna, we've got to do this again next year. We've got to expand. 
We've got to go beyond those five states. This is a tremendous project, and it's also one that is really lifting up communities. And it's the communities themselves that are in control. We're not doing, the only thing we do is provide the technical assistance providers. The project leads and everybody else involved in those communities take the ball and run with it. Yeah, I love that. Building from the ground up, I think, is the most important part of any Mm -hmm. community. Yeah, exactly. I was just had a question that I wanted to ask just because we ask all of our all of our guests this question. I'm always curious to hear. It's always uh, my second favorite question uh, next to the appetizer question. But <laughs> what's the uh, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear the word Appalachia? OK, the first thought, just because I've now had the opportunity to drive through a lot of the region is just the the natural beauty. That's the first thing that comes to mind. I don't think that people really understand just how beautiful this region can be. We were in, and it just seems unbelievable now, but in June and Hazard, Kentucky, before the flood. And yes, there's challenges there, places that, you know, clearly need the support, uh, need the additional, just a hand up to help the communities and but when you see the actual beauty of these communities it's hard to miss and you understand why people didn't leave this is home this is community this is family just a tremendous just powerful that's all i can say yeah, we, we hear that a lot will and i often like to say there's there's something magic in those mountains mm-hmm. absolutely <laughs> I'm glad, Donna, you mentioned the word home. We kind of ground our podcast on place and perspective. Place is really important to Neil and I. Place is really important to Appalachia. As part of that, we always like to ask our guests, just where do you call home? What makes it home for you? What makes it unique? Oh, gosh, that's a great question. So I always say that I I have a lot of home. Uh, People are trying to get me to Greenville, South Carolina to relocate now. (laughs) And which I, I actually love. But I think for me, home is a place where, and it, it doesn't necessarily have to be a place as much as it is a feeling that you've got friends and family, that you're some, you know, near near them, that you have the support of your community, that you have folks who are interested in what I call being wealth builders and really looking at ways in which they can continue to build that community to be economically self-sufficient. But I think all of that to me is a definition for home. It really is that sense of comfort and, and safety, but also just love. I mean, we just all, you know, that, that's uh, to be totally transparent, just the love of a community, love of family and friends. There's obviously no right or wrong answer there, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that was a pretty perfect answer. Uh, <laughs> I, <think so. laughs> I, I wanted to, to see if you wanted to, let the investors out there know, let the communities know, let the people that listen to this uh, podcast know where they where they can reach out, where they can get in touch with ACC, with Opportunity Appalachia, with Donna. Sure, absolutely. So the easiest place is really just to Google Appalachian Community Capital, where, you know, we're on the internet. Um, if you have access to the internet, it's uh, the, the actual internet address is so daggone long, Will, I'm not even going to tell you what that is. I would just say Google Appalachian Community Capital, and you'll find us. And you can also, my phone number uh, is 202-547-5155. 
people can call, which they often do. And we just talk about, you know, what they're trying to do in terms of starting their business and where they might go, who, what members might help. So happy to take any phone calls as well. Thank you so much for your time, uh, Donna. It's It's been incredible to hear your experience, to hear all the great things you're doing throughout the region, all the great things ACC and Opportunity Appalachia is doing. So we appreciate it. Thank you, Will. Thank you, Dale. It's been fun talking to you both. Invite me back sometime. Absolutely. Dale, another awesome episode with Miss Gambrell talking about all the great things that Appalachian Community Capital and Opportunity Appalachia are doing. Absolutely, man. How cool is Donna? I just uh, really enjoy spending time with her and learning all about what she does. But very cool lady, very easy conversation, and uh, I really enjoyed. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I don't know about you, but uh, I mean, I learned a lot. Oh, she, she uh, incredible wealth of knowledge and her experience, especially with CDFIs. I mean, the work that she's done on a national level, and to have her expertise into into Appalachia is just incredible. Definitely an incredible resume and uh, a great team builder. And I know that Appalachian Community Capital will do amazing things over the next decade. I'm just uh, grateful that it's in our neck of the woods. Just hearing the fact that, you know, obviously she serves on a lot of CDFI boards, but she also is the board chair, like we mentioned, of the African-American Alliance of CDFI CAEOs all throughout the country, not just Appalachia, but I think that's, awesome the way that she builds up our region but also builds up that other alliance that she works with there yeah for so I, wanted sure, ask, I wanted to ask you neil since um we had that excellent episode do you have a at biz of the week for us well yeah well i do one that uh i want to highlight that i just learned a little bit about that acc kind of kind of helped guide That is a little place down in Asheville, North Carolina, called Sound Space. There was a gentleman down there that uh, really had a passion for having a space for young musicians to to come and collaborate. You know, he used his his background and his knowledge along with a business partner. Um, I'm talking about a guy by the name of Claude Coleman. And his business partner, Brett Spivey, created this place called Sound Space. It's a really neat story, really uh, unique place in Asheville for current musicians to come to and kind of use it as their workshop. Will, I guess is probably a good way to say it. There's some history behind that. Yeah, there is. So there was an old hotel back in the day there in Asheville that when the Negro Southern League baseball players came to the area they stayed in called the Rabbits Motel. And uh, Mr. Coleman has taken this hotel and turned it into sound, what is now Sound Space. You know, totally renovated, very cool, very nice place for local musicians and uh, any musicians to come and, and use as a, as a workspace. That's very cool. And I, I, I know that's in the historically African-American district of, of Southside Asheville. There's also a gallery there to commemorate uh, the baseball players who, who stayed there in the past uh, during segregation. So uh, not only is it a great new working space, but kind of doubles as a uh, 
a commemorative gallery to show homage to the past. Yeah, that's awesome. And they got up and running because of some funding they got through a member CDFI of Appalachian Community Capital. So that's a great story. Uh, Where can people check this place out? You can uh, check out this really cool space down in Asheville on their website as well at soundspaceavl.com. can give you more insight. And this this is just one of many projects that ACC uh, helped contribute to. And we'll, we'll continue to make many more stories, I'm sure. But I, I really like this one. Well, since we have that Appalachian business of the week, we're going to gas it up just like we gas up the region, just like Donna is doing with ACC, gassing up Appalachia, providing assistance throughout Appalachia. We want to thank her again for being on the show, but I guess we can end it like we usually do. Till next time. I'm the brother that would win. Peace. getting thin now I'm facing down with a grin I've been in the city too long sidewalks and buildings and singing sad songs now I'm back up where I belong in the mountains again